Hey, good morning to you. It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord. It's good to be standing here. I uh, appreciate so much Jeremy's wonderful sermon last week, but like he said, he wished I was here. I wish I was here too. I have to tell you, I'm a little apprehensive. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since I preached and a lot of water under the bridge since I've done that. Um, I learned in the hospital, they ask you a couple of important questions. Uh, one is, do you have a living will? And if that's always encouraging, implies that, you know, you might need one. And uh, I thought, and I said, you know, now I wish I'd have said, yeah, if it's just will, I'd like to live. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know that, that's one thing. And then, and then they said, this one's really important. And then they said, so if your heart quits beating, do you want us to resuscitate you? Okay? And, man, I want to tell you something. You need to know something. Your wife is going to have the final word in that question. You might want to treat her well. Because I remember looking at Judy going, uh, no matter what she says, yes. Yes, I do. And, and I only bring that up today is that just in case, and again, if you don't know, I, you know, with the heart episode and the heart attack, um, just in case if, I, if, 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 if something happens, I want to be resuscitated. I don't care if y'all hold a quick business meeting and vote who the unlucky person is. I don't care. But someone volunteer. Someone volunteer, okay? Hey, dude, I know you know how to do it, so so we're in, all right? So anyway, so it's great to be back with you today. And, and interesting, we're talking about anger today, and um, I think it's going to be a great topic, but I, like I said, I'm just a little bit apprehensive about it, so I hope you'll be praying for me even as I speak today. But anger is a big deal. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about in the latter days, in the last days, perilous times will come. And then he goes and talks about a whole bunch of things. And boy, it's like a, you know, it's like a catalog of, of our society. But right in the middle of that, it talks about people will lack self-control and will be brutal. And you know, you don't have to watch the news very much to understand how real that is in our, is in our society. I mean, you know, road rage and things like that. It's crazy. You know, back they used to, you know, holler at you, you know, and then they went to give you the, the friendly one-finger wave. And, and now they shoot you. I mean, anger is a very big issue in our society. And so I, I, know, it's, I know I'm preaching probably to the crowd outside because we don't have anger problems. Um, but, but, anyway, uh, but anyway, I really hope that you'll listen and let this soak into your heart today. Now, how we're going to do this is I'm going to tell the story about my heart attack. And no, you're not going to get this every week, but it really fits, I think, the sermon well today. So I just kind of want to give you that story. And then um, we're going to look at two stories in the Bible. One is from Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first time anger is mentioned in the Bible, okay, and the result of that, all right? And then we're going to go to Numbers chapter 20, and just one of the most craziest stories about the children of Israel and about Moses and the results of that. So, so hopefully that it's going to teach us a lot about anger, and then if we have time at the end, we're going to go to Ephesians and look at what... What Paul says in one verse about how we deal with our anger. So here's the bottom line. So someone asked me today, um, one of my brothers asked me, so, so how did this happen? You know, what brought this on? And again, some of you know my story and some of you don't know my story. Those that know me for the last 18 years know I love to eat. And about 15, 18, 16 months ago, I really tried, and I got diagnosed with being diabetic, so I started eating a lot healthier, and I really started exercising a lot. And so for the last 15 or 16 months, um, I've walked four to five times a week, 5.25 miles a day, and did about a 13-minute mile. Now, anyone will tell you that's quite an accomplishment. It really is walking that fast, that long, that consistently. And so over the last couple of three months, 
um, I've been getting feeling more and more tired. And I, I even reached the point where I told Judy, I put on about 10 or 15 pounds from what I lost last year. I said, I think my weight's catching up with me. I think I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Well, anyway, so on October the 6th, um, Disciple Now weekend, on that weekend, I got back on Saturday. And the time I got back to my house for my walk, my heart rate was like 150. It normally was about 110. And I was just collapsed out in the yard. And uh, just sitting there trying to recover, and my heart rate wouldn't come down. It's enough to scare me. So about an hour later, it was still like 95, but that was acceptable. We went to the Pioneer Village, did the thing there. I sat down, actually, and everybody else was working. That was awkward. Um, and so, you know, I finally said, gee, I just need to go home. And so made it to the van, barely, got to the house, climbed the stairs, heart rate's 125. I'm scared to death. I'm just scared to death. So Judy calls said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm not doing well. You probably need to come and take me to the hospital. So we ended up there and got there. And long story short was, is I ended up having a stress test there, which came back normal, um, besides some quirks with my heart rate going really high. And so they finally said, well, listen, because of your genetics, we're going to send you to Carbondale and go into a heart cath. And that was going to be done on Tuesday. And so Tuesday, when they got in there, um, the middle artery on my heart was 90% clogged. Okay. And so they, and I remember the doctor, I don't remember much about it because they don't put you out, but they put you like in la-la land. So I remember the doctor going, I wonder why this didn't show up on the stress test. And I wanted to sit up and go, yeah, me too, dude. You know, Mr. Wonderful Stress Test. I wonder what happened there. And so anyway, so anyway, so he says, are you in discomfort? And I said, no, failing to mention that my arm is hurting. I thought maybe like falling off the table, you know, hurting. And so by the time I get back to my room, my left arm, remember the commercials, my left arm was just hurting and it's going right up into my neck i asked the, i asked the nurse for some uh, tylenol of which she willingly gave me she never occurred to her asked what arm was hurting and uh, so fortunately judy went out and i'm sorry jennifer went out and found the doctor and the chief nurse and all that and they came in and i was having a heart attack and uh and they gave me the stuff you know the nitro and, and the tongue and the morphine and uh about 25 minutes later i was feeling all right as well better and so that's the story. And it, what's ironic is, is that they found a blockage, but I also had a heart attack. Okay, two different really things that went on. And when, when the brother asked, how did all that happen? Well, there were three things. And by, believe me, all this fits into the message. I'm just not telling my story. One is genetics. Um, my dad died of a heart attack at 62. Three brothers, all of them had heart attacks, you know, um, and so it was genetically, you know, I was just, some people are just prone to have heart issues. I have to be more careful. Um, so genetically, I was messed up. Secondly are the things that I internalized, okay? Now, I think you know, but when you have an artery block like that, thing called, a thing called plaque. It's, interestingly enough, it's the same stuff that your dentist person scrapes off your teeth, okay? It just didn't have the consequences. So this stuff, this plaque gets on the inside of your arteries and slowly closes it off. So if they had split my artery open, okay, they'd have found things like pecan pie, <laughs> you know, fried chicken and uh, donuts and all this stuff. They'd have found all that stuff in my artery, okay? And over the years, it was things that I internalized and because of the genetics and how I handle cholesterol, it was slowly, just slowly closing off this artery, okay? 
Now, to counteract that a long time ago, my doctor put me on the third thing, and that's medicine. So you have genetics, and you have things we internalize, and you combat it with medicine. Well, my overall number was pretty good. You know, it was, it was uh, 200, which is the threshold of being high, but not. In fact, I went to a, had my cholesterol checked about in June, and they said, oh, those are really great numbers. Unfortunately, though, what was not good was my bad cholesterol, and that's the stuff that clogged your arteries up. And so that, I wasn't on enough medicine. Boy, believe me, I am now. Uh, they took care of that. So those, that's how the heart attack, or that's how the heart discomfort occurred. The heart attack happened this way. When he put the stent in, something broke loose. Okay? And, it, and they tell you this. You know, you can, have a, you can have a heart attack, you can have a stroke, or you can die. Okay? And so a little piece, something broke loose, and it went down the river of my artery until way down, you know, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower, and it got somewhere down there and lodged. And, you know, had 100% blockage at that point, and heart attack. That's, you know, that's your heart saying, hey, I can't breathe. Okay? Well, they don't say breathe, but, like, I can't do my thing. And so that's what causes the heart attack. And so all of that, okay, comes back to this. That's just like anger. It's just like anger. You know, sometimes when we have anger issues, I mean, it's like that massive heart attack. We all heard of people dropping, just dropping dead. Boom. It's done. Sometimes it's like me. I have a little tiny heart attack that feels like a big heart attack. Okay? But it it results in something breaking loose and bam, just like that, you find yourself over the edge, angry. And then sometimes it's just something that builds up over time. And the two stories tell that story. You know, there's a great scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Nancy, that's the slide there to throw up there. You know, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Be not quick in your spirit. But look at that last line. For anger, now you need to write this down. For anger, anger lodges in the heart of fools. And just like that cholesterol was lodging in my heart, slowly closing off the lifeline, anger is the same way. Sometimes it's massive. Sometimes, you know, a a blood clot or something breaks off and bam, and shuts off the blood supply, and you're in deep weeds real fast. But sometimes it's a gradual thing. But here's the deal. The bottom line is the results are the same. Carnage, pain, suffering, and sometimes even death. So anger is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So we want to look at today, as, as we have time, we want to look at today, first off, Genesis chapter 4, and we're looking at the first time anger is mentioned in the Bible, and it's, it's like a solo deal. It's like solo deal. Then we're going to look at Numbers, and we're going to look at Moses, and how he got his button mashed, and how his anger developed, and what it cost him. And it was huge. So take your Bibles, and look at Genesis chapter 4, and let's take a look at Mr. Cain. Mr. Cain. All right? Um, by the way, if you ever want to know why Cain got married, he wanted to raise a little Cain. Okay. I thought that up in my room this morning. Maybe I should have left it on the table. Okay. Anyway, so here we go. So we see Genesis chapter uh, 4, verses 3 through 5. We see the story of Cain and Abel. Again, for you who may not be, you know, super Bible folks, you know, remember there's Adam and Eve in the beginning of the, of the Bible, and, and you know, they, they sin, and that's where sin comes from. They disobey God, okay? And they have a couple boys named Cain and Abel, okay? And this is their story. Uh, remember now, anger is never mentioned in the Bible at this point, okay? Here's what happens. In verse number... Uh, Three, in the course of time, 
Cain presented some of the land's produce. Now, now Cain was a farmer, okay, and Abel was a herdsman. All right, there's a lot of story there we don't have time for, but it's pretty interesting. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel, his brother, also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Now, I really think it's worth our time to just pause a moment and talk about that. Why was it that that Abel's offering was accepted And Cain's offering was not, because it's really a big deal. And the big deal is this. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve tried to cover the shame of their sin, they sewed together fig leaves, okay, and tried to cover their sin with that. Well, God shows up. Have you sinned? Yeah, we sinned. We disobeyed. We ate the tree, all that. And later, God sacrifices. God kills an animal, okay, and makes a skin covering for Adam and Eve. Their answer was man-made, sewed together fig leaves. God's answer was the shedding of blood. Okay? You know, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So whatever's going on here with Cain and Abel, it has to do with two things. It has to do with their sacrifice, but it has to do with their heart. Heart. Cain, for whatever reason... Threw aside, the th- and we have to believe this happened, threw aside the teaching, perhaps from Genesis 3, mom and dad passed along, it needs to be a blood sacrifice. He threw that aside, and he brought, he brought to God the very best he had. He brought the best apples, the best, best pears, the best lettuce, the best turnips, all the very best that he had. But the problem was, our best is never enough. And his best was not enough. Because God has said that it takes the shedding of blood for man's sin to be forgiven. So Cain, for whatever reason, brings his best and is rejected. Abel, on the other hand, obeys and brings a blood sacrifice and his is accepted. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens. It says in verse 5, God did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was Furious. In fact, I think probably the new King James and King James puts it even plainer. It says, and Cain was very angry. Very angry. Now keep in mind, this has never happened before. All of a sudden, this emotion came over Cain, and he was very angry, and he looked despondent. And I don't I, I did not have the opportunity to spur, thoroughly research that out, but it's more than him sitting there, Brent, going. God didn't like my sacrifice. It's more than that. It's more than that. I almost, you know, I will say this. Whatever was on his face, and, and the translators used to spawn it, whatever it was, was more than that. It betrayed, his face betrayed the inside of his heart. Whatever, whatever look it was. You've seen the look of anger like a wild animal. Whatever was on his face, but showed, betrayed his heart. His heart. All right? So, look what happens in verse number 6. This is like so amazing. Okay? So the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Now, how would you like to have a conversation with God? God cared enough about the situation that he goes to Cain and personally speaks to him. 
Okay, now we, we know in prayer that happens, but like this is like a personal conversation with God. Here's what he says. Cain, why are you so angry? What has, what has happened that consumed you? And that's a really good question you need to ask yourself. If you're one of those people that are, are wired toward anger, you're, you're wired toward, um, toward a, an explosive anger. You know, in the Bible, um, uh, malice is more like that simmering long-term anger, and wrath is that explosive thing. Are you the kind of person that can go from, from zero to a hundred like that? Your face turns red and your, your, your arteries burst out of your neck. and you, you know, If you're that kind of person, if God could look you in the eye today, he'd say, why are you so angry? I remember, I remember years, no, it was probably a couple years ago. And I don't remember the circumstances at all. But apparently I was not acting like Dwayne. Because my wife cared enough, and here's what she said. I remember her words exactly. Why are you so angry? Things that used not to tick me off were ticking me off. And I still don't have an answer to that, but something, my, my actions and my, my demeanor ticked her off or you know, notified her that, hey, something's going wrong with Dwayne. There's something going on. Well, God knew there was something going on in Cain's life. He says, why are you so angry? angry, why do you look so despondent? What is, this, what is this countenance that you have on your face? And God continues. He goes, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Hey, Cain, look. All you need to do is you need to offer a blood sacrifice. That might mean, that might mean going to Abel and saying, Abel, hey, I'll trade you seven apples for a lamb. I don't know. Because he was a farmer and not, not a herdsman. I, I don't know exactly what all that entailed. But, but if you do what is right, you're going to be accepted. Okay? This is not like a personal vendetta I have against you. All you have to do is what I've asked, and that is a blood sacrifice, and you will be accepted. Now, watch this. Watch this. If you do not, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. He says, Cain. He loved Cain enough to say, Cain, you're on the verge of something really dangerous here. And if God could look some of us in the eye today, he would look right straight through the plastic mask we wear at church, you know, the mask that hides whatever we try to hide at church, and he would say, you're in a very dangerous situation. And you know it. Your wife knows it. Your children knows it. Your friends even know it. Because when they're around you, they have to be very careful how they step, lest they tick you off. And God says, if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. I thought about First Peter, you know, five five, where where Peter writes and says, you know, your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's crouched at the door, waiting and seeking to devour you. Okay. Now here's the deal. When we did the fire smoke thing, Jobber, you know, a couple, three, four weeks ago now, we knocked on doors, and somehow, and I'm not really sure how, but I got designated to be the door knocker person. So, so Judy and, and Luke would stay down on the ground, or Denver would stay down on the ground, and then I would go up these steps, okay, and knock on these doors. Did you know there's a lot of people that have really big dogs in their house? And did you know that the majority of those dogs do not like preachers? 
I mean, I'm telling you what, dude. I was praying for temper glass in that door. I mean, I mean, a lot of them were like pit bull size, you know. And I'm just saying, Lord, hold the glass. Lord, hold the glass. But here's the deal. The dog was behind the door. But if for some reason the door gave way or it popped open, I was in deep weeds. Well, that's what God is saying. He's saying, Cain, if you do what is right, you know, if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. There's a wild animal. Sir, ma'am, there's a wild animal right outside the door. And if you don't get a handle on this explosive anger, it's going to cost you one day. One day mom's going to say, or your wife's going to say, enough. Your mom and dad may say enough. The police may say enough. And there's going to be a big price to pay. A big price to pay. He goes on and says this. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See, Cain had a choice. There were two voices. Now listen. There are two voices going on in Cain's head. One of them is the voice of God. Cain, power down. Cain, get a grip on this. And then there's the voice of Cain in his heart and probably Satan too going, you deserve better than this. Why was your offering sacked? Why was your offering and your sacrifice rejected by God? Who is, who is able that he gets God's favor and you don't? And there's two voices going off in his head. One God and one the voice of Satan or the voice of self. There are two voices always in our lives and our situations. And the question is, which voice are we going to listen to? Now here's the amazing thing. I told Judy this, and even she thought it was pretty impressive. God himself. Someone say God himself. God himself could not talk Cain down. Here is, it reminded, me, it reminded me of the prodigal story where the father goes out to the older brother and says, Come on, in, come on, come on. And from all we know, the father could not talk the older brother down. Well, here we plainly see God trying to talk Cain down. And Cain was so determined in his sin, he would not listen, though God spoke to him. Do you see the danger? Do you remember the slide that was in the movie? Anger is one letter away from danger. And if you're the one again today that you've got this, this thing going on in your life, some people know it because they've experienced it. Others haven't, but some have. If you've got that going on, it's a big deal. And Fortunately, if you're a believer in Christ, you've got another power. You know, Cain did not have, as far as we know, the presence of the Holy Spirit, obviously. But as believers in Christ, we do. We do. And, and that's the voice. That's the other voice. We have the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Power down. Don't go there. You're in great danger. The consequences are going to be huge. Don't go there. And then we've got the voice of self and Satan going, You deserve better. You, you've got the right. You've got the privilege to be angry. And it's which voice you're going to listen to. God himself couldn't talk Cain down. He was that bent on his sin and his anger. Oh, beware. Beware. Well, you know what happens? You know the story. No pause. No additional commentary. Verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, 
Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Anger, especially the the explosive anger, the wrath anger, is one letter away from danger. And if this is a bent in you, if this is a bent in your old nature, be aware of that. Please don't say today, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm telling you something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you got rewired when you got saved. It may have been your old nature, but it doesn't have to... No, excuse me, it is not your new nature. Power down. Turn to God. Say, God, I can't handle this, but you can. An alcoholic turns to, to re- celebrate recovery or something. Foodaholics turn to other issues. When we have anger issues, we need God's help and get that thing under control. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, for most of us, for a lot of us, it's not the explosive deal. It's more that long-term simmering deal. And that's the story that we see in Numbers chapter 20. Take your Bibles and turn there. Numbers chapter 20. Now, while you're turning, let me give you a little background information. You all know the story that Moses went down to Egypt and got the children of Israel out and led them into the wilderness. And God did many miraculous things. And God, God's plan was to take them to the promised land rather quickly, within the first year, all right, to take them there. Well, they get to a place called Kadesh, okay, and they send spies into the land to search it out. Well, the spies come back, and it was a 10 to 2 vote. 10 to 2 vote. All right, I would take you know, this off or something. 10 to 2 vote that, yeah, it was a great land, but we cannot take this land, okay? We cannot take this land. And God said, okay, all right, here's what's going to happen. For the next 40 years, someone say 40 years. That's four decades. That's four decades. Um, would that be 78, 88, 98, 08? Yeah. Go back to 1978 and start wondering. And you'd just be getting into the promised land. Okay? So for 40 years they wander waiting. You know what they're waiting for? The obituary list. Because God said every person that was old enough, around 20, 18 to 20, you know, had to die before they went into the promised land. So every day, they waited for funerals to happen. For 40 years, they waited for people to die. And so finally, in Numbers chapter 20, they're right outside the promised land again. They are just, they're within a year of entering into the promised land, having the opportunity to enter into the promised land again, okay? So remember, remember, way back when... Forty years ago, disobedience kept them out of the promised land. Let's see how things have changed. Remember, almost a totally new generation. Let's see how things have changed. In verse number two, there was no water for the community. So they assembled, keyword, against Moses and Aaron. Forty years later, seven times the people have went to Moses or to God and said, we're not happy. And here's why we're not happy. And we're not talking about an occasional murmur. We're talking about the nation rising up and saying, we don't like this. So they're having a habit of being murmurers. So here they are 40 years later on the edge of the promised land, virtually a whole new generation. A few more have got to go, but a whole new generation. 
There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, and they start listing things that, that, that they are unhappy about. Now, as I was reading even this morning, I stumbled into this really cool commentary. Didn't you know I owned it? It's on my electronic thing. And the guy said this. In counseling, there's something called gunny sacking. Gunny sacking. It goes something like this. So I have this really bad habit, and this is not true. Okay, because I am a perfect husband. That's why Judy's so willing to have done CPR on me. Actually, she's got so much invested, she wants to start over again. Okay, so, so anyway, so let's say that I had this really bad habit of leaving my dirty, stinky socks on the floor. Okay? So she would mention occasionally to me, Hey, um, honey, would you mind picking your socks up when you take them off, put them in dirty clothes? Oh, yeah, sure. Next night, same thing. This goes on for about 10 years. You know, she's patient. So, so finally, after 10 years, she goes, I've had it. I've had it. For 10 years, I've asked you to pick up your socks. I said, well, gee, it's not that big a deal. She said, well, it's not only that. No, you don't pick up your socks. You don't pick up your underwear either. I mean, every, every day, socks and underwear, I pick them up. And by the way, do you understand that three out of the four times every month, you don't take the trash out? I'm going, really? She goes, no, you don't. And by the way, every time I get in my car, okay, it's out of gas. It's out of gas. And I'm going, where is all this coming from? And that's what gunny stacking is. What started out as a small issue all of a sudden grows and grows and grows and grows. And all of a sudden, World War III is broken out between a husband and wife. What started out with dirty socks grows into something much, much larger. Like this guy said, he said, when the complaint department is open, anything and everything is fair game. And you know, it's true in church, unfortunately. When the complaint department gets open, everything and anything is fair game. It really is. So what happens here is, what starts out as, hey, Moses, we're a little thirsty. It doesn't matter that, it doesn't matter that God's been faithful for 40 years. It doesn't matter that every day we go up and pick out breakfast, lunch, and dinner off the ground. We don't have to farm for it. It doesn't matter that God parted the Red Sea. It doesn't matter that God did this and this and this. We're thirsty. And that's what happens when the complaint department gets open. He goes, he goes, if only, he goes, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. See, we're thirsty. We're thirsty, Moses. And it'd been better if we had died when God judged the people Korah. Korah led a, a, a rebellion against Moses and God killed them. God killed them. And they're saying, you know, because we're thirsty and because, you know, you or God haven't come through for us, it'd be better if we died when God judged them. Did they really mean that? No. But at the time, it seemed logical to them. But they don't stop there. They don't stop there. Now, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? See, when the complaint department is open, anything and everything is full of grain. Now, now, by the way, have you noticed this is not the promised land we're living in the wilderness? And by the way, did you notice that all we do is die here? Why have you brought us to the wilderness so we can just die? You know, 
Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's funny. Almost a whole new generation, and they still talk about Egypt. Ah, Egypt. What wonderful memories. Yeah, they beat us. Oh, and they killed us. And we worked 12, 15, 20 hours a day. But we had leek and onions to eat. It was a wonderful life. Isn't it funny how, how the past can seem so attractive when you don't like your present? Isn't that true? Well, you know, we, should, we were much better off in Egypt. And then, and then, this place is not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Have you forgot that, Moses? There's no water to drink. They weren't in the promised land yet. That's why there was no figs and vines and pomegranates. But every day, God fed them. Every day, God fed them. But they were complaining because there were not figs, vines, and pomegranates. And by the way, whose fault was it that they spent 40 years in the wilderness? Was it Moses? Was it God's? No, it was their disobedience that got them there. So Moses, I can just see him. Moses goes, not again. So watch. It's really good. It's just good. It's a good story. Look at verse number six. So, and by the way, here are two things, okay? When you find yourself, you know, people will always be people. It was a new generation, but people are always people. You, and by the way, Charlie Brown said, you know, I love the world's the people I can't stand. Well, keep in mind you are one. You didn't write the book on perfection. Okay? So, so just remember that. So oh, Moses do, does two things that are just really smart. So in verse number 6, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. They removed themselves from the situation. Sometimes when you're facing a situation where the people are mashing your button, whether it be your husband, your wife, your parents, students, your parents, whatever it might be, okay? Remove yourself from that situation. Walk away from the situation. So they move themselves from the assembly and watch. To where they go to, not only from, but to, to the doorway of the tent of meeting. And they fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now this is so good. As believers in Jesus Christ, what do you do when people are mashing your button? What do you do when you feel it rising within you? What do you do when you feel like you just might reach the breaking point? What do you do? Okay. Now, see, my heart on that Saturday morning was sending me all kind of signals. When it was beating 150 times a minute, it was saying, we have a problem. When it wouldn't come back down, it was saying, we're having a problem. When I was not getting enough air, we have a problem. Okay? So in this situation, when, they, when the people were mashing Moses' button, he did something. He got out of the situation but he went to God. Now, if I was talking to the Lions Club, this would not make any sense whatsoever. If I was talking to the, to the Elks, it wouldn't make any sense at all. But we are a people of God. We are a people who believe that when we were born again, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. We can have a daily conversation, like I said, Cain and Abel have with, or Cain have with God every single day. Would you say amen to that? So we have this opportunity. We can have this conversation, Okay then go have a conversation with God. When your situation, ladies, 
If your husband, husbands, your wives, students, your parents, your boss, your co-workers, whatever the situation is, get out of that situation, but don't just leave, go to the presence of God. Let him talk with you, and you talk with him. So what happens? Well, after the glory of the Lord appeared to them, verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, now listen to this. This is really interesting. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. Isn't that amazing? If you want to know what grace looks like, this is it. You know, God could have easily said, I am on your side, Moses. It is time to exonerate these people. I'm sorry, to execute these people. It it is time to zap them. But God didn't. He showed grace. He said, Moses, here's what you need to do. Just take the staff. Take take your brother. Go out there. I want you to, now listen, I want you to talk to the rock. Interestingly enough, by the way, just interesting. Some seven, some four, 39 years later, earlier, when they got to Kadesh, you know, somewhere in the, I'm sorry, no, 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 it wasn't then. It was, it was 17 years earlier. They were needing water. And you know what God said? Strike the rock. This time, God says, speak to the rock. Just interesting tidbit of information. God speaks to the rock, and water will appear. And the community will be, have their thirst quenched. Wow. God showed grace. Guess what? Moses wasn't in the mood for grace. See, he was wise enough to separate from the situation. He was even wise enough to go to God. But just like Jonah, remember when God showed you know, grace to Nineveh? What did Jonah do? He got mad. He got real mad. Well, I got a feeling Moses must have been kind of like Jonah and said, now, wait a minute. Well, how do you know that, Dwayne? Because of what's coming up. Let's look. Let's look. The Bible says in verse number 9, So Moses took the staff, check, just what God told him to do, take the staff, check, got that, from the Lord's presence, just as he's being commanded. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, check. He's batting a hundred. Take the staff, assemble the people. And what was he supposed to do? Talk to the rock. You know what he does? Well, he's going to hit the rock. You know what he does before he hits the rock? He talks to the people. Yeah, here's a really, I mean, if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. In situations where you feel something welling up inside and you know it's not going to be pretty, don't talk to the people, talk to the rock. Talk to the rock. Get alone with God and talk to the rock. The rock is what you need. He does not do that. And what comes out of him, just like... The artery was clogged up 90% over time. And my heart finally said, enough is enough. Moses finally says, enough is enough. And when God said extend grace, he does not. Because what it built up over time. How many times are these people going to murmur? How many times? See, he went from being the leader of the people to trying to be the judge of the people. And God was the judge of the people, not Moses. He assumed a role that was not his to own. Often, this is stinking good. Often in anger, we assume roles that is not ours to own. 
We lose it. We lose it. And we act in a way we shouldn't act. And we assume positions we shouldn't assume. And things happen while they just go south. So here we go. Listen, you rebels. Does Does anyone think that doesn't sound like grace besides me? Doesn't sound very graceful, does it? And that notice he judges them. You're a rebel. Leave that to God to say that. You rebels. And this is what really gets him in trouble, in my opinion. Must we, must we, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Well, Mr. Moses, if you're God, go ahead, bud. Let's see you bring water out of a rock. God could bring water out of the rock. Moses can't bring water out of the rock. But see, once again, he's, he's being a glory robber. See, anger makes you do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. I mean, if you're a leader, if you're a preacher, if you're a leader of some sort, you know this is true. You, you get in situations and you assume more than you should ever assume. And here's Moses thinking, well, I'll just show them. I'm going to take credit here. Yo, I'm going to bring water out of this rock. He cannot, he could not bring water out of the rock. But he was acting that way because of anger. See, anger will make you a person you're really not. It'll make you act like a person. Truth is, can I just be truthful? Every person in this room has scars from anger. May have been mama. May have been daddy, may have been a kid at school, may have been a teacher, may have been a boss, but somewhere there are scars. And by the way, can I just say this? Probably the more the scars, the more likely you are to treat people that way. The more you've been wounded and hurt, the more you're likely to reach out that same way. It would sound like it'd be the opposite, but it's not. Well, after his little, I'm going to bring more out of this rock speech, then Moses raised his hand. And struck the rock twice. Direct disobedience. See, anger will do that. He knew full well what God said. And he chose to disobey God. Anger will do that. It'll cause you to rationalize your sin and disobey God. Well, he raised his hand, struck the rock twice with his staff. Now watch. Talking about grace again. Watch this. It could, wouldn't it have been funny if he goes, Must we bring water from this rock? Smack, smack. Smack, smack. Uh-oh. Smack, 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 smack. Now, God is grace. What? It just says. So that abundant water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. God in His grace, someone say grace. By the way, you need to know this. I'm so glad for Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and it's a path that God delights in. And even if I fall, if I smite the rock instead of speaking to the rock, I will not be utterly cast down because God upholds me with His strong hand. I'm so glad for God's grace. I'm so glad he's merciful. I'm glad when you guys are too. Because boy, I, 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 have a, I, have a, I, have a, I have a bouquet of failures in my past. You know, I'm glad that, that God's graceful and merciful. So the water gushes out. But it cost him. 
costs him. Daddy, you need to hear this. When you lose it in front of your kids, I mean, I don't mean just a little snot. I mean you lose it. You melt down. It's going to cost. When, when you do it to your wife, it's going to cost. Ma'am, when you do it to your kids or your husband, it's going to cost. Hey, Mr. Boss Man, when you do it at work, it's going to cost. Well, what did it cost Moses? Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is so wild. Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness and the side of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given you. You know what that means? He's not going to the promised land. You know why? Because he didn't trust God. It was manifested in his anger. But he did not trust God. Now, can I ask you a question? Who was the big loser? Was it the children of Israel who got a little chastening from the great leader? You bunch of rebels! Were they the losers? No, a lot of them, of the younger generation, walked right into the promised land. No, it was Mr. Moses. And God said, because you didn't trust me, then you can't go into the promised land. Now, that may sound harsh to you. I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to God because God's God and I'm not. Let me tell you what anger is. Have you heard the old saying before that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die? Anger's that way. The big loser in anger is not the person you attack. They're going to lose. And they're going to have scars. And there's going to be pain. But the big loser is you. The big loser is you. So I've got 57 seconds left. Left. I intend to use every one of them. <laughs> but these words from Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. There's nothing wrong with anger. God was listed several times in the Old Testament as being angry. God, or Jesus, expressed anger when he cleansed the temples. Even at the grave of Lazarus in, in John chapter 11, when it says he groaned in his spirit, he was troubled in his spirit. Most translators will tell you that means he was angry in his spirit. Not the people, but at sin and death. There's nothing wrong with anger until it's misdirected. That's why Paul said, be angry and sin not. And I just need to tell you this, that's hard. Probably the best deal is, don't. But there are times with anger at the right thing, not the right person, because you shouldn't be angry at people, at the right thing, at the right sin, is profitable. But it's a dangerous thing. Be careful. Be angry, but don't sin. But don't sin. So through these stories today, I hope we learn from their example, from their teachings. If you leave nothing else today, understand this. Anger is a big deal. But with the power of the Holy Spirit as believers in Jesus Christ, we all can be overcomers. No matter how we're wired personality-wise, no matter how we were brought up, no matter what the circumstances may be, because of God and His Holy Spirit and His power, we are victorious over anger. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. 
Well, God, I certainly want to thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. I really am. Father, I pray for the defeat of Satan in this critical area. Father, for those in the congregation today and on the sound of the radio that are wired such that this is way too easy for them. They, they have the explosive nature. I want to pray in Jesus' name for the victory of the blood on that. But God, for this preacher and a whole bunch of us who do more of the slow burn, who allow things to build up until finally it explodes out of our mouth and our actions. I pray the same victory over that. God, I want to thank you that the blood is our victory. It's our victory in salvation. It's our victory in our day-by-day life. Help us not to ignore this today. It'd be easy to do because we love to rationalize. We think we have the right to be angry. We have the right to hurt. We have the right to speak harshly, and we do not. Dead people have no rights, and we are dead in Christ. Dead in Christ. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in us. But there's someone here today who heard these kind of truths for the first time, and it goes beyond an anger problem. They need a rescue. They need their sins forgiven so they can call you Father. And Jesus, such as you came and died for. So we pray for someone here today who needs forgiveness in that sense. Would they come and talk with Brent? Father, there's other decisions that need to be made about church membership, recommitment. Maybe just coming down to the altar and praying about this. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, draw us. Draw us to where you want us to be. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.